You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our study through the Book of Acts. We're calling it, We Are All Witnesses, Part 2. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the Book of Acts, and get ready to study God's Word with us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, thanks for clapping. I usually get that when I leave because uh, most rooms are like, goodbye. It is great to have the rest of you join us all across uh, Chicagoland. Uh, we want to study God's word together in the next few minutes. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. I want to jump right into it by uh, telling you a little bit about my friend Ezra. Ezra, I've mentioned him before. He's from Kenya. He's the one who has all sorts of interesting stories about going to the witch doctor in the village and things like that. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, we were just texting the other day about soccer. We have a, a, uh, both have a love for, for soccer or football or whatever you want to call it. It's fine. Um, and so we've been watching the World Cup together and texting back and forth and these sorts of things. And some of that actually got me thinking a little bit about uh, some of the history I have with Ezra. Well, one of the things that I have had the blessing of in my life is having uh, several friends who have been from different races and backgrounds. The Lord seems to have had a, a there are a lot of um, African and African-American men that have had a significant impact on me and my Christianity and my love for Jesus and Seems like the Lord has always kind of put someone in there. I was discipled by a dear brother, Ken Hutcherson, who was, a, who was an African-American football player. And um, Ezra has become a dear friend. We used to travel together. We were pastors together on the same staff. And so we would travel together quite a bit to go to different conferences, or sometimes uh, we would be asked to speak at those conferences. And I, I, I just don't travel alone when I do that. And so Ezra would always come with me. We'd seen lots and lots of things, but... Um, because I've been able to travel with Ezra, I feel like uh, my eyes have been opened over the last several years regarding um, a little bit of what it's like to be a, a black man in uh, North America. Very, very small. It's only because I've been standing on the side while he's been treated certain ways. And so, um, in fact, one time when we were in Chicago, um, we were going to a conference, and uh, the Obama uh, motorcade was coming down this street, right? Uh, the president, and they had all the, the, you know, the, the different cars leading it, and it was late at night, so there was not a whole lot of people out on the streets, but they were, the street was lined with all of these police officers. We had just come out of a movie, me, another friend who was also white, and then Ezra, and we stood on the edge of the sidewalk saying, well, we asked the police officer who was right there, what, what's going on? He said, well, it's the presidential motorcade. Uh, President Obama is coming by. And we were like, okay, let's get a glimpse. And so they were coming down and we were on the edge of the, the sidewalk, you know. The police officer didn't say a word to me or my friend Todd, but for Ezra, he asked him, can you please step back? 
And he put him in the, kind of in the middle of the sidewalk. And I was looking back at him like, no, okay. And then even that wasn't enough. The police officer was just, actually, can I have you just go back against the wall there? Like, seriously, we were on the edge of the, of the, we were on the edge of the street. And he was pushed back all the way against the wall. We've made fun of him for years for this, but it's not funny. I asked him after that, is that like normal? Surely that's not normal. That's something that you don't experience. He said, oh, Jeff, dude. So he, from time to time, when we would be traveling, would point certain things out to me that I just didn't, I just didn't notice. Sometime we were in a store together and he was walking around, I don't know, it was like a big, big bookstore. And about 10 minutes into our time in there, he, he came up to me and he said, hey, 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 follow me, just follow me, but at a distance, just watch. And he started walking down, and I noticed that there was this uh, lady who was taking inventory from, she worked at the store, and she, was fall, she just kind of came right after him. So then he went around the corner, and she went around the corner, and he came back, and then he came, he did a loop, and he came right back. And when he came around the corner, he goes, and he walks down the way, and she was right, right behind him. So I started following them around the store and everywhere, this, everywhere he went. Like he was going in the funniest places, around, you know, downstairs and back upstairs. <laughs> everywhere he goes, he was like that. I said, brother, this is no way that that happens to you all the time. He goes, yeah, oh, it's been yelled things to me. He's from Canada, right? And everybody thinks, oh, Canada, that kind of thing's not a big deal up in Canada. We don't have the racial backgrounds and issues that, that they have in the United States, but... I mean, Ezra has walked down the street in Canada, and he had just people yell out their windows certain words that should never be said. Never be said. The thing actually that hurt, hurt me the most as a fellow human being was when he, he told me one day that he was, having a, he, he was late to a meeting, and he said, uh, I'm sorry, I was just with my daughter this morning, and she was just having a, a tough time. He's got three beautiful girls. And I said, What's, uh, what was wrong? He said, oh, she was in tears because uh, she, she doesn't like how ugly she thinks she is. I said, she's what? She's not what? And he said, yeah. She just says she wishes she was white. Do you know... It seems that in every culture around the world, we establish, human beings, we establish pecking orders based on the oddest things. What I mean by pecking orders, like who's better than the other people around you? Isn't it weird that we have decided, somewhere along the line, somebody decided, or we just collectively decided that the way it should work is that if you have darker skin, you're not as important as people with lighter skin. There are even places in India today that that's how they judge whether or not you're better than anyone else. If you have really, really dark Indian skin, you're not as good as the light-skinned Indian. I don't understand how that came about, just coloring, but we've established it in our world as a pecking order. It's not just that. Your race, there's a pecking order. 
in your race. Apparently, if you're European, you're more valuable, I guess, than an African or somebody from Southeast Asia. I don't know why, but we do that. We do that with our nationalities, right? Oh, you're from that particular place. (laughs) We do it within our nationalities. Have you guys ever met somebody from another city and in your mind you're like, well, I'm from Chicago, so that makes me, you know, a little bit more area. I'm a little bit more urban and connected to somebody who lives in Greenville, Alabama. Right? If we want to make fun of people and we want to make somebody sound stupid, what do we do? (laughs) You sound like you're from Mississippi. Right? That's the way we do it because we just don't view people from that part of the world as important or as valuable or as smart as someone else. I don't know. Probably the smartest people in the world are probably from Alabama. But for some reason, we decided, nah, that's not true. The smartest people in the world live in Barrington, which is where I live, right? But even around Chicagoland, have you noticed that? Like, I mean, my, my town, I live in Barrington, and I, we didn't, when we came here, they said, oh, I was live in the middle between all the campuses, and so we ended up living in Barrington. And then I was like, there's nobody here who's not white and blonde. And when you talk to people around the area, there's, oh, you live in Barrington. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. But yeah, let's think, honestly, if you live in Barrington, you're better than someone who lives in South Elgin. Sorry, guys. If you, if you live in this city, you're better than people who live in Elgin. And let's not get started about Woodstock, okay? Let's just not even talk about them. It's a, we make jokes about it, but it is a, it's a pecking order. As a guy who's w- lived his whole life fighting his weight, I just tell you, if you want... People think that because you're heavier, you're, you're actually like morally reprobate. Something, you did something wrong. You're doing something wrong, sicko. I can play basketball or play another sport. I've scored goals in soccer against people. And while we're running back to the center after those congratulations, I've had the other team walk by me and go, you're still fat. Okay. Okay. Somewhere along the line, they said, oh, if you're fat, you're really, you're really a bad person. Man, I wish I was in Japan for the sumos because I'm, I'm awesome there right? Isn't it weird, these pecking orders that we just established? And yet, if I were to go out and say all of these things outside the doors of the church, people would respond exactly the same way we do, kind of with a, yeah, that's right, that's ridiculous. Why would we ever do that? I don't understand why we do that with color or race or you know, wait, or these things. The world shouldn't be like that. In fact, most of us agree everywhere that the world shouldn't be like that. If we could define our times by one goal, it's that we want to be do away with those distinctions. We want everyone to have a place. We want welcome for everyone. The problem is we can't achieve it. We think that through politics or the right president or maybe through this policy decision that we can actually get to the point where we've done away with these distinctions and we say to everyone, You're all, we're all equal. There's no way to it, it seems. Except for one. Except for one. For the next several minutes, I want to describe for you what that one is. I, actually, I have lofty goals today. I want to describe for you what the answer is to the racist, sexist, 
misogynist ist-ists of our world. You know, and you write a paper when you're in college or high school, they try to teach you, okay, you need to have an introduction, which is what I just did, and then you have to put your thesis statement, right? All the English teachers are like, yes, exactly. Okay, so here's my thesis statement. You don't listen to anything else? Here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ tears down racial and social walls that bar us from finding human harmony. The church formed by that gospel should be the example on earth of what a community of equals looks like. Now I'm going to say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ tears down racial and social walls that bar us from finding human harmony. The church formed by that gospel should be the example on earth of what a community of equals looks like. All right, so to do that, I'm going to take three steps. Number one, I'm going to show you the realization in the Bible of social and ethnic harmony. I want to show you the reason then for that social ethnic harmony and the results of social and ethnic harmony. So the realization of it, the reason for it theologically, and then the results of it. This is going to be a cool Bible study. I hope, you really, I hope you'll enjoy it, okay? So here we go, the realization of it. Acts chapter 11, verse, verse 1. We're just going to run through this text relatively quickly because it's a summary of what, we, what happened in the last sermon if you were here. So if you missed the last sermon, you're like, oh, I don't know what happened. Here it is. Peter's going to sum summarize everything that took place. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, which is what just, just happened, right? Peter gets this vision, and Cornelius has a visit from an angel, and they get together in Joppa, and then uh, they, Peter goes to Caesarea and hangs out with Cornelius, and all of a sudden, amazing things that Peter's going to describe happen, and at the end, Peter's like, oh my goodness, the, the word of God, the gospel has gone to not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. So he stays with them. He lives with them, eating with them for the next several days. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these are the people who believed that even though the gospel had come, we still need to keep the Old Testament law. All the food laws, you can't eat certain things, and you cannot eat with certain people who eat certain things. The circumcision party criticized him saying, here's their argument, you went to uncircumcised Gentile men and you ate with them. Why is this such a big deal? Okay, so follow the logic here. In the Old Testament, the way it worked was in order for you to worship a holy God, a set-apart God, you had to be yourself holy. So, so there had to be some sort of cleanliness about you, a keeping of the lawness about you before you could just go into God's presence and start worshiping him. 
And if you weren't holy, you needed to have a substitute for you to go before God. So you'd take a lamb or whatever, but it had to be a perfect lamb. Couldn't be just be a rubbish lamb. It had to be the right kind. So holy people get to serve and worship a holy God. There were certain ways that made you unholy or unclean. Uh, you could have childbirth, which, you know, I've been around a childbirth and unclean is probably a good description of it, but also according to the law of God in the Old Testament, that's like an infectious disease makes you unclean. Uh, touching a corpse makes you unclean. Eating unclean foods like a shellfish or pig or whatever. In the Old Testament, Le Leviticus 11, there's a big list of all sorts of food rules for the people of Israel. These things you can eat, these things you can't eat. So you have to keep all of these rules around the law in order for you to ma maintain your cleanliness. The hardest one to maintain, though, was you could be unclean by being around anyone else who was unclean. So it wasn't just about you. You actually had to be, un be clean for the sake of your community and your neighbors and your household and your everything. And if you were unclean, it meant that you didn't get to participate in the worship of God, but you also, because your uncleanliness would spread to other people, you could not be part of your community until you went through purification rituals. Guys, this is really easy for people like us to understand these days. We just went through COVID, which is almost identical to what the system was, right? If you don't pass a particular test, you don't have the holiness to hang out with the rest of everybody else. And so you have to go through your purification ritual, which means, I don't know, you pick 10 days, one week, two weeks. Uh, I, I don't know. Taking the vaccine, whatever. There's, there are rituals that you have to go through in order to be purified so that you can then spend time with other people. Right. So remember, in your minds, the way people talked about, oh my gosh, why would you have an unvaccinated person over? Or, oh my gosh, why, why would you have, uh, why, why would you have uh, somebody who has the, if, you're, if you have it, why would you go to someone else's house? Now listen, I'm not endorsing one way or the other way or anything. I'm just describing for you what it was like for them. So now you can understand why these guys ask us. You went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them, which makes you, Peter, unclean because they were unclean. And now your presence with us makes us unclean. You jerk. Now we have to go through all the purification rituals. What are you doing? But Peter began and he explained to them in order. He says, yeah, I, I, I know what I just did. I know it. But when I tell you guys what happened, you're going to understand. Okay, what happened? Okay, I was in the city of Joppa praying and then I was in a trance and I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me, looking at it closely. I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, hey, what God's made clean, what God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times, you know, for emphasis. 
And all was drawn then back up into heaven. Okay, so then I wake up from my trance, and, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. They were sent from Caesarea, and the Spirit, I mean, God himself, he told me to go with them, making no distinction because his temptation would be, oh, I'm not going to go hang out with a bunch of Gentiles, but he just had this dream, this vision that was like, okay, don't call what God has called clean, unclean. So maybe the vision's not just about food. Maybe it's actually about food and people. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send a Joppa, bring Simon who's called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, guys, as I started talking, says Peter, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it fell on us at the beginning. And tongues of fire and like, what? And then I remembered the word of the Lord, the word of Jesus, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the coming of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a sign that you're in Christ. And so if it happened to us, and then the same thing happened to them. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Like seriously, guys, says Peter, what would you have done? We just dismissed it all? Well, this is all just one weird coincidence. What would you have done? And you can just feel the room when he's saying this. Oh. Hmm. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Guys, in other words, the whole world was flipped upside down. All the people that they always thought were unclean, their entire religious system that said that you can't go spend time with other people who are unclean, it's just been completely flipped. That the people who used to think unclean, who are now in Christ, you go and hang out with them and eat. What? I guess that's the way it is, they say. So here's the thing, this, this passage is essentially saying that God makes no distinction between cultures or races or social standing. Yes? That it doesn't matter if you're Gentile or Jewish or black or white or purple or green, rich or poor, male or female, it doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. Right, so this is the realization of it in, in history. But let me show you the theology behind it, the reason why theologically this is the case. Because what you've seen right here is the solution of barriers between people come tumbling down. Why, should, why is that the case? 
Why, for Christians, is it the case that all of the racial, social, and all those things kinds of barriers have come crumbling down? Why, are, why do we basically have the answer to what the world is dying to know? Right, so Romans chapter 2. Here's Paul writing, and he's going to describe the theology behind all of this. He says, okay, for when Gentiles who don't have the law, right? They don't have the Mosaic, the Mosaic law. They don't have the law from God that was handed down from, from Mount Sinai. Moses comes down and gives it to the people. The only people who got that were the, were the people of Israel. For when Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires. So they, they don't have the law, but they do certain things that the law requires. So they, they don't have the do not murder but they don't murder because they kind of feel like that's a bad thing. They are a law then to themselves, even though they don't have the law. See, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. It's like there's this intrinsic thing that makes them think, ooh, I don't think that it's right thing for me to kill the cat. while their consciences also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts, they accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let me stop here for a second, give you an illustration of what he's basically saying is that, look, you don't need to have the law of God in order for you to have a law, right? For you. Everybody's got a law for them. And God will judge you by the law you have for you whether you are consistent with it or not. So for example, when you're driving down the street and you get really angry at the person who cuts you off and you're like, I hate you, you should not be driving, you jerk. You don't, I do that, you don't do that. But when they cut you off and you get really angry, do you three minutes later cut somebody off? Like God, it's like God, he's put a a recording device around your neck and he's going to say, okay, so we're just going to listen to all of the moral statements you make throughout your life. What's right, what's wrong, and stuff like that. That is the law that you have. At the great judgment, I'm going to start playing it. And at each time you make a moral statement, I'm going to say, hey, when you said this, did you do it? Let's look back across your life and see if you ever did the thing you say is wicked. How are you guys going to do? Some of you followed me to church driving today. You're not, it's not good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for a lot of things. Well, it's really, really horrible for you to use your power to, to, you know, to elect a particular president. But then you did it. You read the news anywhere. That's, that's the argument, all of us. Everyone's a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. You guys are all hypocrites. Oh, but there's some of us who aren't hypocrites, right? So the, in his case, he's like, yeah, the righteous people, the, the people who have, are with God, they're not hypocrites. Okay, Paul says, but if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what's excellent, right? Because you got the law, that means you're better. Because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure about yourself that you're a guide to the blind, you're a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children. So you have the law, so you can go and proclaim the law on everyone else and say, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked, because you're not doing the law stuff. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, you then who teach others, uh, do you teach yourself? 
The things that you say to other people. Hey, that's wrong. And you say it for right reasons because it's in the law. And you say, I'm person of the law and I stand with God. Wicked. Do you do the things that you say? While you preach against uh, stealing, do you, do you steal? M- not all the time. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Are you an idolater? You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. You see his argument? You guys are all in trouble. I don't care what you had before you came to God, whether you had the blessing of having the law or you didn't have the blessing of having the law, whatever moral standard you have, you failed according to. So a couple verses later, you can understand why he says, okay, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Uh, No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. How many? None is righteous. No, not, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not, not even one. Can I just give you an illustration essentially what he's saying? Let's pretend there's this massive boulder out in our parking lot and we're all going to go out there. And I'm gonna, I'm here, you have to pick the boulder up and you've got you've to pick it up and you've got to throw it over to the gas station across the street. Now, some of you have really remarkable physical gifts, right? Like me, right? I'm huge. I'm going to be able to do this. Some of you are just weaklings. So you, do, you come in without the benefit that will help you do this. But I come in with great benefit. So we go up to the boulder. I tell you, after you've struggled to do it and haven't moved it a bit, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> look what I can do because of all my gifts that I came into this with. And I grab it and I, nothing. Nothing. That's Paul's point. You cannot keep the law, no matter what law it is. None of you keep the law. That means if you break God's law, you're, you're, you're into God's judgment. What are we going to do? Um, Romans 3, 21. But now, two of the greatest words in the Bible. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's not like they didn't talk about this. It's the righteousness of God, which is what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For how many? For all who believe, there is no, what? Distinction. Where do we see that word? Acts 11. There's no distinction for all, Jew or Gentile, black or white, green or purple, male or female. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, Jew or Greek, black or white, male, female, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right, so we got this big boulder out in the, 
in the, in the parking lot and we're going to all go out and do it. None of us can do it. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're not going to get the big massive prize that you get when you throw the boulder. It's like a billion dollars. None of us can get it. It really stinks. And then along comes a guy, you know, he's on the power team. You guys remember that? Anyway, this big burly dude and he's like, I can do this. But here's the, respo- here's the deal. You have to get out of line. You have to stop trying to do this. I need you to get out of line, sit over there in the corner, and trust completely that I'm able to do this. So what are you going to do? You're totally at wit's end. You say, okay, fine. I, I, I guess that's the case. You go sit down. The guy picks it up, and he throws it across to the thing, and he gathers his billion dollars. He comes over and gives it to you. This seems like a pretty good deal, right? Almost scandalous, right? And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. By just thinking, getting out of line, and giving up on your attempts to self-justify You get eternal life in Christ who threw the freaking rock. And we all get it by faith. So listen, here's his argument. Everyone is consigned to the same level under sin. No matter what your background, no matter what your abilities are. And everyone is lifted up to God in Christ through faith. So what do we say then in all of that? Well, you can understand. For in Christ, you are all sons of God. You all get the billions of dollars. Through faith, through getting out of line and sitting down and trusting him to do it for you. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have let him be your standard. There is neither then Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. You are all Jew, Gentile, black, black, all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise, just by getting out of line. Do you see his point then? The gospel of Jesus Christ not only restores you and your heart to God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the basis for the harmony you have with everyone else. Because there's nothing you can point to in you that got you into this great wealth. There's nothing you can point to in anyone else that limits them from the great wealth. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So I said there's a realization of the social and ethnic army and then the reason for it. And so let me finish by giving you the results of it. So here's the practicality. That's all the theology. Here's the practicality then. What, what does this mean for people in the church, like you and me? Well, I think then that if this is the case, um, we should fight racial and national divisions in the church. Like, we should push back against any racial, national divisions in the church. You know, I've said before that the church of Jesus Christ is, the king, is, is an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth. You guys been to embassies before in other countries? The United States will represent itself in an embassy in Canada or in an embassy in Israel or an embassy, whatever. And that place is actually, you know, U.S. land. You know that. When you walk into an embassy, you're actually on sovereign U.S. property. 
We are an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth. Every faithful gospel church is an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth. That means that when you walk in the doors here, you are identifying as what you really are, which is a citizen of the kingdom of God. You happen to have certain background. You happen to have certain coloring. You happen to have certain wealth. You happen to have a whole bunch of things when you walk through the door. But when you walk into this place, you operate by the rules of this kingdom. And this kingdom, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So all of the pecking orders that you came in with, all of them that you operate by in this age that is passing away, You throw them out for the kingdom that will last forever. Your citizenship is in Christ and his kingdom primarily, in your nation and race secondly. Please hear me. I am not denigrating your nation, your race. You should cheer for your World Cup team. But what I am saying is that those things which define us so much outside the doors do not define the people in Christ. What defines the people in Christ is in Christ. No matter what color you are, no matter what it is, we are all one in Christ Jesus. You see this. Like the, guys, when we stand before God and we're in heaven, here's what it's going to be like. After this, Revelation 7, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number they from every nation. See, their nationality is not just wiped away. From all their tribes. Yeah, you can notice that their tribes and coloring are different. And peoples and languages. There's so much diversity there. And they're all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're clothed in white robes. Same thing. Isn't that weird that they're wearing the same thing? Huh. So all this diversity and all these colors and they're standing before God and they all have equal things, white robes, and they all have palm branches in their hand and they're all crying together with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Massive diversity, but massive unity. Yeah, it's the kingdom that's the kingdom of God. So what, okay, so then practically, what should we do and shouldn't do? If that's our future and this is the way it works, what should we do and what shouldn't we do in the church? Um, well, I think that we should probably then limit racial and national distinctions in the church, shouldn't we? All right, so when the, world, uh, the uh, Olympics were in, in Vancouver in 2010, the Winter Olympics, and one of the guys in our church was really gung-ho. Canada was doing well in the Winter Olympics, which is where they do well. And he was like, we need to put flags in every place in this church to celebrate the Canadian power. And he, and he came to me and he said, we're doing this. And he actually put them in there. And I said, you need to take every one of those flags and you need to take, it, take them down, all of them. What are you doing? It's because you're an American and you hate people. And I said, yes, but I'm also a Canadian. <laughs> you hate it. You just, oh, Americans are so American. And with your American stuff, I said, brother, this has nothing to do with the fact that I'm American Canadian. My kids are New Zealanders. My wife was born in Japan. It has nothing to do with any of that. What this has to do with is that when people walk through the doors of this church, they are Canadian, yes, but kingdom of God citizens first. And so when they walk through the doors, what we try to do is remind them of their unity in Christ instead of the division that they have outside the doors. So I want you to think for a minute. 
I want you to imagine a U.S. foreign policy decision. We all have our politics. I want you to imagine a U.S. foreign policy decision. When you have your particular view on it and someone else has a particular view on it, and you think we need to do this, and the reason you think we need to do this is because it furthers the purposes of the United States of America, and that's great, you're American. But you're not American first. And so the question that should proceed, how is this going to affect the United States of America, is how is this going to affect my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? Is that how you think about it? You're going to live forever with those guys. So we should limit racial and national distinctions, but then we should embrace. So there's a negative side, but then you, there's a positive side of embracing races and nations in the church. A church that I, when I came to faith in Christ, I came to a church, Antioch Bible Church, that was like black and white and green and purple. It was so multicultural. And they had a, a, a choir that was the checkerboard choir. And it was, it was like black and white and brown and black and brown and white and black and brown and green haired and like all of that. And they would sing at the services. And I knew the pastor was the guy who discipled me. And I remember talking to him one day and he was saying, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And they, man, they could sing. Isn't that the most beautiful thing you could ever see? And I said, mm, I don't know, Grand Canyon. He was like, but don't, you, but don't you see? Don't you see? When everyone walks into this church, they come from places where we fight about our backgrounds and all this stuff. And there in front of you is everyone singing, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. It's like heaven, Jeff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Gospel churches, that's what happens to them. If you love the gospel... And all the principles and theological foundations of the gospel, what will happen to you is that you will erase the stupid pecking orders in our world. And you will say with a loud voice, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Man, I, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, South Dallas, went to that church for about six, seven months, Tony uh, Evans was the pastor there, it's on the radio, great church. Anyway, I walked in with my wife, Norwegian descent wife. We walk in, whitest people on the ground floor by a distance, you know? Uh, the music's playing, I'm like, yeah, this is really good, but you know, you, I don't dare move because it's embarrassing. It's to everybody, it's embarrassing. I don't wanna put any of those people through that. Anyway, the... The usher, they show us to our seats. We relate, of course. We walk by all these people, most beautifully dressed people, right? Gowns, amazing. And I, I sit down in these two seats that are right between these two beautiful black ladies, big old black mamas. And I sit down there next to the one lady and she looks at me and the other lady next to my wife and this lady next to me, she goes, well, hello there, honey. She puts her arm right around me and says, it's so good to have you with the Lord today. What's your name, Jeff? Oh, I love Jeff. My name's Shirley and we're going to worship God together today, right? And so then the band's playing and we stand up, she grabs my hand and we're, she's like, go this way and then that way. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And my wife's got the other ladies doing it to my wife and we went there for six months, and every time we went to the church, this is the way we were welcomed. Didn't matter, were you white? Didn't, didn't matter. 
no matter where you were from, your background, because when you walked in the doors of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, you were one in Christ Jesus. Man, that's the way every church, every gospel church should be. But it's not, listen, it's not just national and, and racial divisions. It's also social divisions, which really is the issue for so many of us. Social divisions in the church. You know, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the apostle Paul is livid with the people of the Corinthian church because what they're doing is they have, uh, they, they have the Lord's Supper together. It's a massive meal, but the wealthier people can come early and they can drink the wine and they can eat the meat. And then when the poorer people come, because they were coming from work, they come, they have to sit like, you know, at the kid's table. And they have to they get close to the food and they're at the buffet and it's totally picked over and there's no wine and all the people near it who are rich are drunk. I'm sorry we didn't leave any for you. Praise the Lord. That's what they were doing. And so the apostle Paul hears about that. He's like, ah, what is wrong with you? Don't you see that in Christ, there's no slave nor free. There's no social distinction between you. When you're rich, you should welcome the poor, not disparage them. Man, and in the church, let me just tell you, in the church, we have a habit of doing that kind of thing. You know, let's elevate the rich people up to the highest height because they're the important ones among us, right? That's what our world says. But does the church say that? My last church, we had a, they called a Christmas home tour. So all the wealthy ladies in the church would actually invite all of everybody else to their houses and see the most magnificent setups of their homes. And, you know, they'd go through and it was a women's ministry thing. And the women's, the women's ministry director at one point came to me and said, what do you think of that? And I said, ooh, I, I don't know. Like, what is, the, what is the effect of this whole thing have on the people of God? And her response was, you know what I hear more than anything else is the ladies who go through these houses and come back out of the houses say, I wish I had what they had. I said, so is that a Christian thing? She said, absolutely not. And she killed it immediately. Because we in the church, we're not about reinforcing the fact that you don't have as much as that person has. That's just not what it is. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I've been asked several times in my life as a pastor to raise money for the church. I've had to do it in lots of occasions. You know what you're supposed to do when you raise money for a church? You're supposed to identify all of the rich people in the building and you're supposed to have a special meeting with each one of those people and put your hand on their shoulder and squeeze it lightly and say, brother, I think this is the Lord's calling you to give money to the church. And so then they are like, okay, so then you get a certain amount of money into the, you know, the fundraising at the front end. And so you can go to all the other, you know, nobodies and you can say to them, hey, we're going to, we're going to do this. I had special meetings with all these people. And if they call me again, we'll have more special meetings with them. I don't have time for special meetings with the rest of you, like the widow and her might. I don't have time for that. But the rest of you, you can give now. Here's a piece of paper. And they've told me to do this. And I said, nah, no way. Never. Why not? This is the way all the fundraisers say you should do it. I don't care what the fundraisers say. You know what I care about? We're all one in Christ Jesus. And every way you should be treated in the church is as one in Christ Jesus. So somebody gets a special seat. Somebody gets a special meeting. If I'm going to meet with the rich, I get to meet with the poor. I don't care how much money they give. I can squeeze shoulders for everybody. I don't care. But that's the way the church ought to be. Don't you see? If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's, that's what the church is. A place where there's 
neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So look, we, we will live forever in joy with all of God's people, no matter what their social standing was, what their race was, what their political affiliation was, what their nationality was. It seems to me that if we're going to live forever with all of those people, and we're going to live in harmony forever and praise God together in our white robes, maybe we should start now. Maybe the kingdom embassies, we could give an indication to all the world. Maybe we could be a city on a hill that the whole world looks at and says they have an answer to what we so desperately need. And they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Let me pray. I'm thankful for your grace, Father, and I'm thankful for your word. Uh, These subjects are so um, apparent in Scripture. They really are. They form the basis of so much of the first implications of the gospel in our lives. These are necessary implications. So, Lord, would you make this have spirit come, and would you make these things happen in our lives? Would you help us to see the places, Father, where we inadvertently discriminate, where we obey the pecking orders of the wider society, even in our own minds and hearts, Lord, where we think that we're better or we're worse because we don't have what other people have. Would you help us realize that in Christ, we all have the billion dollars and help us to live like that now with a freedom from all of those stupid standards that keep us so oppressed. Free us, we pray, in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.